Mark 1, 1 through 11. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we, we worship you and we, we praise you today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us understanding of this scripture and show us why it's so exciting and, and so significant, not only just for, for this day, uh, it, it, that, in the time that Mark was writing, but also for our day, Lord, that this is transformative, that there's important things for, for our life, Lord. We trust that all scripture is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, Lord. And so we, we pray that you would, you would equip us for every good work in our life, Lord. That you would train us in your scripture. That you would rebuke us where we need to be rebuked, Lord. Point us to your truth. Humble us so that we can live uh, under the lordship, under the kingship of, of Jesus Christ. Bless this day, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Welcome to Redemption West Mesa. My name is Chris Amaro. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, just, uh, just for some of you guys who are new, we have been a church since September. We started worship together. We actually had ministry going on since January of 2010. But we started worshiping together in September of 2011. And for the first three years of our ministry, we did a bilingual service. We did that because it was, it was necessary. We have a, a community center called El Puente Center that, we, that runs out of this building as well. And, and so it was necessary for the, for the people we were trying to reach to, to figure out how, how can we reach families who uh, the older generations are, are operating primarily in Spanish and their children and and, and teenagers are operating primarily in English. And, and so we did bilingual for the first three years. And it was awesome. And, and it still is awesome. That's the service that we do at 11. And, and in, in October of last year, we started doing the English service. We, we decided, we've always uh, called ourselves a, a multi-ethnic church. Where we really want to be a church where anyone can come to. And so I, it was important for us to, to broaden our reach. And, and so we started doing this English service since October. And so we're glad you're here. 
we, we're praying that you can, uh, that everyone can feel comfortable and at home and, and get connected here and be part of the body. You know, so the, the community groups are really important for that. I, I'd urge you to get connected, and, and I just want to say we're so glad you're here. All right. As we get going today, I want to ask you, can you ever remember a time where you were super excited for an event or an, an, an announcement, right? You're eagerly anticipating maybe, maybe to, to find out if, if uh, your spouse is pregnant. Right? Or maybe to, to find out the, the sex of your child, right? the sex of the baby. Is it going to be a boy or is it a girl? Three times I heard it's a girl. It was awesome. Right? Or maybe you're, you're anticipating. I remember family is so excited. Can't, they couldn't wait for the birth of the baby. Right? My mom being out there waiting for hours for the, baby, the, ba- one of the, the babies to be born. Right? Have you ever had that where... You're, you're so excited. Did I, get, did I pass this test? Or, or am I going to get this job? Right? We have, we have those, those events kind of repeatedly in our life, right, where we're excited for the next thing to come up. I remember for me, probably the most uh, anticipating, exciting thing for me was my, my wedding day. Right? I wanted to be married bad, and I feel like I had to wait forever. I was 26 when I got married. Um, but I, 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 uh, I remember I couldn't wait to hear those words announced, you may kiss the bride, right? And, and Ruthie and I, were, we dated for about seven months, and we were only engaged for three months. So we didn't have to wait long, but it felt like it was forever, especially those three months where we planned the wedding. I remember uh, having on our MySpace, I said MySpace, and that's correct, having the the tracker on there, the countdown to the wedding, how exciting that was. And so the reason I say that is today we're going we're gonna to see the announcement, an affirmation of Jesus Christ in Mark 1. And this announcement of Jesus coming was one of the most anticipated events in all of human history, right? The, God's people were waiting for this day that Jesus would arrive on the scene. And so that's what Mark does today, is this is all about announcement. This is all about arrival of Jesus, right? And he does a great job announcing it. So before we get into Mark, though, I want you to know just a little background. Mark's gospel is the product of uh, the Apostle Peter's eyewitness testimony. Uh, Mark grew up around... uh, Peter, and would have heard Peter sharing the gospel in the streets and, and preaching the gospel for most of his life. Mark had a very, uh, he was very uh, privileged to get, to get to learn and serve alongside Peter, as well as he even, for, for a while, he spent some time with Paul, serving with Paul, and was near and dear to Paul's heart. And so, universal church testimony, going back to the first century, places Mark, John Mark, as the author of this book, and even the, the ancient writers confirmed that he, he, he wrote what he heard, had heard from Peter, all right? Uh, a, an, a key thing about this book is it was written from Rome, and it was written to Roman Christians, and, in, and specifically, it was written to Gentiles, right? And the, and the reason I can say that is, is because every time there's some Jewish-type material 
he'll always go into extra detail to explain it because Gentiles didn't understand Jewish history, right? You'll, you won't see any genealogies. I don't know if you guys know what genealogies are, but it's like John had, had uh, Mark, and, and it, it's just name after name, and you usually uh, skip over it anyway because you don't know what it's talking about. And that's what Gentiles do because Gentiles don't understand Jewish genealogies. And so he doesn't have any genealogies here. Uh, Mark's content is, is fast-paced like a sprint. You're going to see uh, one story to the next, just like it's like it just keeps going, keeps going. And Mark tends to focus more on the, the actions of Jesus more, more than the teaching of Jesus, although there is a ton of teaching in here as well, all right? And, and you see, as we see today, that Mark totally ignores the birth of Jesus and skips right into his first public appearance, right? His, his, uh, his uh, appearance at his baptism. So, and uh, Luke 3.23 tells us that when Jesus began his ministry, he was about 30 years old. So it skips the first 30 years of Jesus' life, all right? And so I, I had just spoken to you guys about the anticipation, right? When you're eagerly waiting, you can't wait for something to happen. Well, the Jews, who were God's people at this time, were waiting for 400 years. 400 years they had heard nothing but, but silence from God. From the, from the last prophet Malachi to now when John the Baptist steps on the scene, God hadn't spoken to anyone. Right? There's no prophets. Uh, the, this period is called what's called intertestamental period. 400 years. And, uh, and just for, you know, just uh, I was trying to get a perspective on 400 years because 400 years is a long time. I mean, this is a long time that they hadn't heard anything from God, right? And so I thought, what, what, what was 400 years ago in American history? 400 years ago, the early settlers were settling in, in Jamestown. That's a lot that's gone on since that, right, since the early settlers. Uh, that, actually, 1621 is the first Thanksgiving. So just, to, just think about all the amazing things, all the amazing inventions, uh, the, the formation of a, of a whole nation, right? How many nations have risen and fallen in these past 400 years? And so they, they're waiting. You know, you, I can't imagine the, the anticipation that had built up. And so, over these 400 years, a lot, of, a lot of amazing things had happened. Israel had gone, on, gone off into exile in Babylon, and then at the beginning of these 400 years, Israel returns from exile uh, under Persia, and, and they return to Israel and rebuild the temple. All right? So, one thing that marks this intertestamental period is, is Gentile oppression. They're continually under oppression from one group to the next. So what happens is they get settled there, and, and the Greeks come in into power over them. And, and the Greeks were big on Hellenization. And what that means is the Greeks sought to, to have one world culture. They wanted, and, and, and so this was the big pressure the Jews had to face of that day, is, is, is uh, conforming, right, the, the, the Greeks wanted them to lose all their Jewish identity and become totally Greek. 
And so the, the, the Jews had to, had to fight to keep that identity in those days. And over that, that time, Greek became the common language. And that's what the language they spoke in Jesus' time. After the Greeks are in power, Rome becomes the ne- world's next superpower. And, and, and from when they begin ruling to, to the, day of, the time of Jesus, the, the Jews are suffering under the, the brutal mastery of imperial Rome. All right, so that's where we find our, ourselves in the story. Is Jew, uh, Israel is under Rome, and, and Israel's longing for a king to rescue them from this oppression. They're longing for the king. Most, most Jews at this time are, are waiting for a day that when God would come and redeem and, and restore Israel, right, to their, to their glory days, right, where... where and it would all begin with Israel. This would be a new world where Israel is, is forgiven, cleansed, renewed, and then, and then God would spread his blessing out to the Gentiles through Israel. This would be a, a day that God would pour out his spirit on his people and empower them to do this ministry, right? And, and he would save his creation from Satan, sin, pain, and death, right? So... Israel had, had the right idea that, that this king would come and, and re, redeem and restore all things, but they had a, had a small view of God, what God was going to do because they only saw that it was about them instead of the church and the whole world, all of creation, okay? But, so they had, some, they had some things that were right that they, they understood from the Scripture that obviously Jesus brought us greater understanding of, of his kingdom. And, uh, but many more b- Jews believed in this day that there would be a, a conquering Messiah that would come. Right? They're waiting for a conquering Messiah that would come and, and bring war and overthrow this Gentile oppression. Right? That, that the Gentiles would either, either have to, uh, to bow to Israel or, or suffer the, the judgment of God. Right? They, they're, they're, they thought the Gentiles would be, uh, suffer God's judgment because they had grown to, to hate Gentiles because they were continually oppressed, right? And so most of these Jews in this day are, are waiting from, for this, uh, this day that they would be saved from pagan oppression by a Messiah, right? That's what the prophets of old had spoken of. That's what they're waiting for. That's what they're anticipating, and so any idea of, of a suffering Messiah was completely unheard of, right? That, that, that didn't make any sense in their, in their way of thinking. And so what we see here in, in the story as we go through it all is, is the sad thing is when Jesus arrives on the scene, he's not the kind of Messiah that they expected or the kind of Messiah that they wanted. And so they reject him as their Messiah. All right. So let's get in, in, into the book of Mark and, and let's look at this announcement. We're going to see three different ways that, that the arrival of the king is announced. We're going to see Mark's announcement. We're going to see John the Baptist, who is the herald, his announcement, and the announcement by the Holy Trinity that Jesus is king. So look at Mark 1.1. 1, 1. A very brief announcement. Mark says this, powerful line, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. Right? He's, arri- he's announcing that that king that they've been waiting for is here. Right? It's an interesting fact is that uh, Mark's the only uh, author of any of the four Gospels to call his book a gospel. And, but that word gospel is important because in the Greek that was a very familiar term. It was the word euangelion in the Greek, gospel, which meant good news, joyous message. It was a very familiar term to both Jew and Gentile at this time. The Jews knew it, that good news equaled gospel. They, they, they recognized that word from, from their Old Testament texts, that, that gospel meant the good news of the coming, the rule of God. So uh, you, uh, you can write these down. I'm just going to quickly cite them. But Isaiah 49 through 10, they knew it because of Isaiah 49 through 10, which talks about the good news of the coming of the Lord and his rule. And they also knew it from Isaiah 52.7, which talks about how beautiful are the, are the feet of those who bring the good news, the gospel. And that good news is that your God reigns. Right? So they associated the, the good news, the gospel, with that Messiah that would come, that future king. Gentile Romans also knew this word. This was the word that was used to, to speak of the arrival of, of the new emperor, Caesar, right? His rule, his, the, who, they believed him to be their, their savior king. They believed him to be God, right? So, so it was a common word. It had a broad meaning, but its technical meaning was to describe the ascent of a new king. To this new king that would rule and produce salvation and peace, and happiness. A king that would bring in a new era of blessing. And so that's what Mark is announcing. Jesus is king, the good news of the king. He's arrived, and his name is Jesus, right? And this king is bringing the new era of peace, his kingdom, that actually Joel's going to talk about next week a little bit more. Even the meaning of Jesus' name has significance. The, the name Jesus that was given to him by, by the Father is Yahweh is salvation. Right? Here's Yahweh coming to bring salvation. Jehovah God. And the Christ is not his last name. It's a royal title. Right? It's a royal title. The anointed one. The king. Jesus. King Jesus. Right? And Son of God even carries this weight of, of, a, of a divine being, right? A heavenly being. It's the Son of God come, being sent into the world by the Father. So this is a powerful one-sentence announcement of this new era, the, the, the anticipation that you've been waiting for. Here it is. All right. Second announcement is the, the herald's announcement, John. John was a herald. And to Gentiles, no king would ever arrive without a herald. Right? If Gentiles are going to look at this story, and it's written for Gentiles, they would be looking for an authentic king to be marked by the arrival of a herald, by a credible herald, that someone that would come in, and before the king arrives, 
and announce his coming. And that's precisely what John the Baptist does. He comes in as the forerunner of Christ to announce his coming. But this is also significant for the Jews because he was the one who was prophesied about. And that's why, uh, if you'll notice there, uh, the verses 2 or 3, this Mark is quoting uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Right? He, he's saying that John the Baptist is the one that was spoken of of old. Right? He's the one that was prophesied would come and, and be the voice in the wilderness, the voice crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for our Lord Jesus. Now, John was a, a very interesting individual. Like Jesus, he was conceived by uh, parents too old to bear children. He was actually the, the cousin of Jesus. And if you read some of the other accounts in the Gospels, you'll see that, that uh, Mary and Elizabeth met before they were born. And, and uh, John jumps. I think it's Elizabeth that feels them move in her, in her stomach. And uh, the Bible tells us that John actually had the Holy Spirit from the womb, which is really cool. I, I pray for that for my kids, that they would have the Spirit from, from birth and from childhood. And I encourage you to do that as well. John spent his whole life in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. And that wasn't a fashion statement, right? That was survival statement as he lives out in the wilderness. And uh, he actually... Uh, wore, he's, uh, the clothing that he wears is the same kind of clothing that Elijah is described wearing. And so G, he, John comes in the spirit of Elijah, who was also promised who, who would come before the king comes. And uh, his diet was locusts and wild honey. Sounds delicious. Chocolate-covered crickets, basically. Matthew 11.11 tells us that John is the greatest man who ever lived. That's a powerful statement about about John and his character. Obviously, he's the greatest man besides Jesus who ever lived. Uh, But verses 4 through 5 tell us that he comes preaching and calling for people to uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Right? And people are going out in the wilderness to him and, and, and repenting and confessing their sins and being baptized. And so John's baptism was very controversial. It was controversial. John was saying that repentance is the way to receive the king that is coming. Right? He's announcing this king's coming. And if you're going to receive him, you are a sinner and you need to be baptized. And so in this day, it was controversial because no Jew would ever be baptized. Baptism was only for the Gentiles. Baptism was for Gentiles to come and become a, a, a Jews because the Jews didn't think they needed to be baptized. They saw themselves as clean already, right? And so John's saying, hey, it's not about your, your religious record. It's not about your it's, the, it's not about what race you are or your, your religious pedigree or how good you are. He's saying you're all sinners and you all need this Savior that is coming. Right? That we all need to be saved by grace. 
And, and the same still stands true today, right? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. None of us have any religious record or, or pedigree that matters before God. So here's three things that John announces about Jesus. The first one is that Jesus is more powerful. He says, he who comes after me is mightier than I. Right? So he acknowledges that, that, hey, I'm just a man. He's mighty. He's God. He's king. He, he, humbly, he says this, that I'm not, I'm not worthy to untie even the straps on his sandals. It's a humble statement because the most menial task, the most disgusting, lowest task was to untie someone's sandals, right, and clean their feet because people's feet were, were nasty. They didn't have uh, paved roads and sidewalks like we have today, right? So this, this, this task was for the lowest of, of low servant or slave. And he's saying, I'm not even worthy to be a, a slave or a servant. Of this, of this one who is coming. And he announced a greater baptize, baptism, right? I baptize with water. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so he's not saying, hey, this baptism that I'm doing is worthless. He's saying there's this greater baptism that's going to come uh, the day that we've been waiting for where God will pour out his spirit on his people. He's going to bring that day. He's going to bring that day. All right. So we see John as the herald. So we see Mark's announcement now. We see John's powerful announcement and John as the herald preparing the way. And the, the third one is the announcement and affirmation uh, that Jesus is king by the Holy Spirit and the Father. And so when we look at this baptism, what we're seeing here is the inauguration of Jesus as king. This is Inauguration Day, okay? This is one of the most amazing events in all of Scripture where we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all there together. Amazing scene. Let's look at it in verse 9 and 10. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So check this out. After 400 years of silence, 400 years, the heavens are torn open. Amazing scene. Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, right? We see the, the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit coming out of heaven, descending on descending on Jesus like a dove. And so this is uh, the anointing of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, but it's also a, vis a visual acknowledgement that Jesus is king, right? They visibly saw that he's the king. And that's what the, the dove means, to, to show us that it wasn't a literal dove, but that this was something you could see, and it was gentle, and it was coming down upon him. And so the Spirit would empower Jesus for ministry and to do the Father's will, right? Where Jesus emptied himself and, and he relied on the Father through the Spirit for his ministry. 
And then Luke 1.11, you see the second part. You see the anointing, and we see the affirmation. Where a voice, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. All right, Jesus is affirmed. This is the oral acknowledgement. We got a visible and an oral acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God, right? The divine, heavenly being, the promised one. And this is an amazing and powerful announcement. That would have been, uh, I would have hit my knees. I hear a voice coming from heaven, right? And so that's what Mark's seeking to do here, right? Is to really just enter into this book with this powerful announcement of the king. And you're going to see this, this kingdom theme that remains throughout the book of Mark. And we're going to come back to these ideas of, of what it means to, to, that Jesus is king and what it means to, to live as his kingdom people. It has powerful, uh, powerful, um, it, it affects the way we live our life powerfully. It changes everything if Jesus is king. And that's why one of our, our, our key statements that we say at, at Redemption Church is that all of life is all for Jesus, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. Therefore, everything, all of our life, right, all our time, tra- uh, talents, our treasures, everything belongs to him if he is king, if he's the one that, that God's people were waiting for for all this time. I want to answer one question before I wrap up. Why did Jesus receive a, a baptism for repentance and, uh, and forgiveness of sins? Right? I've already answered it one way, that it was his, his inauguration as king. Right? But you've got to understand this, that, that Jesus was sinless. Right? Jesus had no need to be baptized for forgiveness of sins. Right? He lived a perfect life. In Matthew chapter 3, that you guys can go read it later, the other account of the baptism gives us more details. But, but in the Matthew 3 account, it tells us that, that John tries to prevent Jesus from being baptized. He says, no, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says this powerful statement in, in Matthew 3.15. He says that it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Right? So Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And what that means is, Jesus not only came to die for our sins on the cross, but Jesus actually came to live a perfect life on our behalf. Right? So you might have heard me say that, that I think I get this from Tim Keller, that Jesus lived uh, the, the perfect life that we should have lived. And Jesus died the death we deserve to die. Right? Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, right? So that by repentance and faith coming to him, we could be credited with his perfect righteousness. Right? That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. This is a, the, what the scripture is called the, the great exchange, right? That God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So God, actually, when we come to him in repentance and faith, when we're, when we're saved by God, he trades, he gives us a, a, an amazing trade, right? He trades us our perfect, our, our sinful life, right? 
our broken record, our rebellion for his perfect righteousness. Right? And so it's important that Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Right? Because if, if we're only credited with his death, all we receive is forgiveness for sins. And Jesus goes way further than this. All right? Jesus, because if we were just, if we only receive forgiveness, right, for our sins, then the rest of our life it would be up to us to, to live a perfect life. Right? We, we'd be under probation like Adam. Right? If you think of Adam, when God created the heavens and earth, he put Adam on probation. He told Adam, you can enjoy all of this if, right, you don't eat from that tree, right? And Adam blew it quick, right? It didn't take him very long. And so we, we would be in the same condemnation. And so that's why Jesus' perfect life is important, right? Because Jesus dies and forgives us our sins, but we also have his perfect life. So the rest of our life we're treated as righteous, like we lived the perfect righteous life. That Jesus lived, right? And so when Jesus was baptized, that's part of him living the perfect life, living the life that we should have lived on our behalf, fulfilling righteousness for us. And so the, the grace of Jesus covers our sins, not only of our, our past, but of, of, of our, our present and our future, right? Our righteousness is secured in Christ Jesus, this is good news, All right? Our relationship with him, once we're saved by him, can never be broken, right? Romans 8 begins and ends with there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and that there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's all because Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, and so the, the, the gospel call that, that, Paul, that, that uh, John was calling in that day, right, repent. He's calling, repent. The king is here. It's the same call today, right, because we've all turned away from God. We've all rebelled and, and pridefully sought to do our, our life our own way. We've all believed lies about God, right? We've all want control of our own lives. I'm going to do it this way. And at best, we treat God as a, as a helper. God, you, you help me do my life. At best. Right? And so the call is repent. Humble yourself before God. Say, God, no, not my way, but your way. I'm not king. You're king, Jesus, and I need you. Would you give me your perfect righteousness? Because my way falls way short of you. And so that's the call. Repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And baptism doesn't do anything, but it, it's that public acknowledgement now that Jesus is my king, and I bow to him. And I want everyone to know that, that he's the Lord of my life. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, Lord, that today, Lord, just like in that day, Lord, that uh, if we heard that for the first time that your king that your Lord, Lord, I pray that, that we would repent and be baptized. If you truly are king of the universe, if you rule and reign over all things, the only thing that makes sense is to bow to you and to live life 
under your amazing righteous rule and to receive your righteousness and not try to have a righteousness of our own. Today, I pray that there would be none of us that are, are like the Jews who think we don't need the righteousness of God, that we already have it because somehow we think we're good enough. Help us know that we're all sinners. We all need you, Jesus. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.